Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. We're excited today to have State Senator Becca Rausch with us. And joining me is co-hosts are Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. Laura from Boston Red Cloaks and Advocates for Women's Empowerment. And Linda from Indivisible Acton. And it's my pleasure to introduce Senator Becca Rausch. She represents the Norfolk Bristol Middlesex District. And she ran in 2018 challenging a, a Republican incumbent and she won by 1,974 votes. So Becca, tell us what that was like and why you decided to run. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here and I'm, I'm so glad to be doing the work that we are doing together. It was a wild ride in 2018. I had a very competitive primary. There were several primary candidates um, and then I had a very even more so competitive general election. It was fast and furious, full of grassroots people and energy and um, and it was a very long election day that November. We were up until about two in the morning waiting for results to come in from Attleboro, which is uh, one of the 12 municipalities that I now represent in the state Senate. And, you know, it's not over till it's over. So we waited until, until the very last count came in and we didn't know until about two in the morning. We had sort of an inkling a little bit earlier in the night based on how the rest of the numbers were coming in, but it was super exciting. Um, and it has been a, a very successful, very productive first term in office. I'm really, really proud of all the things that my team and I have been able to accomplish, both from a policy perspective, um, including, of course, reproductive freedom and justice, and also from a service perspective for the people and municipalities that I represent. As a new senator, um, tell us how you managed to accomplish so and what that was like. Well, it's been very busy. <laughs> uh, the learning curve is very steep. And you know, those were two of the three things that I expected coming into office, that it would be very steep learning curve, that I would be very, very busy, and that it would be a wonderful opportunity to do some good in the world. And all three of those things are true, but I have been very fortunate and very lucky and, and have worked very hard to achieve a great many things. I was appointed by the Senate president in my first few weeks of my tenure in the Senate to serve on the Senate's temporary committee on rules, uh, which is really, really important to how the legislature functions for the entire session. That's how we make the rules. That's how we decide which committees are going to exist. Right? Those are all done in the rules making process. Uh, we also made a number of advancements on equity and combating um, sexual harassment in particular in the legislature in the rules debate this session. I was really proud to be a champion of, of that effort along with several of my colleagues who are really working hard to do that. I am a very energetic person. <laughs> so my team also, we, we probably don't get enough sleep. We surely are not getting enough sleep since the pandemic hit. Uh, because we've all just been working overtime to try to do everything we can to help people stay in their homes, access food, make sure the lights and the water don't get shut off and the garbage, uh, you know, trash pickup and disposal. But we just got to work and we had a lot of conversations with a lot of experts in various different fields. I brought my expertise, particularly in health law and um, my work in the executive branch before I joined the Senate and put out a bunch of really good bills, advocated hard and We've had a lot of success. I've passed three bills on the Senate floor in my first term, and two of them are reproductive freedom and justice bills, uh, which is 
amazing. And I am just thrilled with that track record in addition to, you know, budget amendments and a whole bunch of other things that we've also been quite successful in, in achieving and many more bills that have been reported favorably out of committee, which is a really big hurdle for bills to, uh, to cross. So uh, lots, lots accomplished and lots more to do, which is why I'm running for re-election so that we can keep, keep doing it, keep putting this proven leadership and track record of success to work for everybody in my district and from a policy perspective, everybody in the Commonwealth. I had never really even heard you speak before Senator Ed Markey's press conference. And I just wanted to say, you blew me away. You, you were so great that day and your words just were so right on. And I just wanted to thank you for that. Um, oh, and all so the work much. that you're doing. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. So you've been a really successful leader with the Maternal Health Initiative. And so we wanted to ask a little bit about that and how that's been. Have you seen any surprises? And maybe you could just share like why this is so important and why now? Oh, so many reasons. I've been working on reproductive health and justice for most of my adult life in one way or another. Um, before I came to the Senate, before I started practicing as an attorney in the executive branch, I was a health law professor and scholar specializing particularly in women's health and reproduction. You know, I've been, I've been thinking about and working on reproductive rights and freedom and justice for a long time. When I got elected and realized I could write the bill <laughs> and file the bill and advocate for the bill, several bills in fact, that was, that was a real moment for me in my path to the Senate uh, and in my path as the Senator. The two bills that have cleared the Senate floor, and, and I want to mention expressly that both of these bills were passed on unanimous bipartisan votes, yeah. right? This is, these are, most people think of, and I think wrongly think of reproductive health and justice as a very polarizing, very um, hotly contested issue, and that's just not true. I mean, all the data show that, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about the Roe Act, but all the data show that that the vast majority of people in the Commonwealth, you know, Bay Staters want access to safe and legal abortion. It is, it's in fact not as controversial as we think it is. And there are many, many, many more facets of reproductive health and reproductive freedom that are really not very controversial at all, right? Um, so the two bills that I passed are, one is to address racial disparities in maternal health nationally, Black women die at a rate of more than four times that of white women in childbirth, postpartum related complications. In Massachusetts, our rate is better, uh, but still not equitable. Uh, black women in Massachusetts, uh, black pregnant people die at a rate of more than twice that of white people giving birth. So we have an issue. We've got to fix that issue. And that is what that bill will do uh, it was passed in both the House and the Senate, slightly different language in the two different iterations of the bill. So the, uh, that, those differences are being worked out now, and I'm hopeful that we will get a final product worked out and passed into law before the end of this session. Uh, the second bill is to license certified professional midwives. Those are the midwives that perform home births. And this bill has been filed for several sessions. Uh, last session, it was reported out of the Public Health Committee, but didn't have enough time to get through healthcare financing. This time, we've got it all the way to Senate Ways and Means and passed on the Senate floor. Again, unanimous bipartisan vote. And 
Um, this is a massively important bill. And I actually, I love this bill for so many reasons. It improves health access. It improves um, health choice, right? Reproductive health choice for people who are pregnant. It improves outcomes for moms and babies. And it uh, reduces health costs all at the same time, all in one bill, which is why 36 other states have already done this and Massachusetts is just way behind. So uh, the Senate has passed this bill, really, really proud of that. It's now with the House and uh, hopefully the House will be able to get it done uh, and we will, you know, we'll keep working on that. We also have a number of other bills that have made it through various other hurdles, like a bill to require access, fully accessible diaper changing stations. Also an issue of reproductive justice. If you want to be a parent, you have kids and you want to ever be out in public, you're going to need a changing table. That's just how that's going to go. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you'd be surprised how many people can't find one. I had one dad tell me that he couldn't find a changing table once when her when his daughter was in diapers, and so he just changed her on top of a bar <laughs> <laughs> because there wasn't one. So that you know that's how it went, and um, you know we've got that one. I also filed the Pregnant Persons Health Act, which is the, I think the most comprehensive reproductive health and justice bill maybe ever filed in the Commonwealth. Um, that bill did go to study, uh, but we'll, we're going to be continuing to work on these efforts. There's a climate bill also that we made, uh, got across the finish line with the Senate's next generation climate package. Lots, lots, of, lots of stuff in motion. Well, I have two questions. The first is, do you ever sleep? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> Thank you so much for all the, that, that great um, uh, effort and success in bringing these uh, maternal health care issues to the forefront of uh, everybody's consciousness now, finally. Women across the Commonwealth, our dear Commonwealth, were uh, very disappointed that the, the House didn't take up the, the Roe Act. They, didn't, they weren't able to get to the point where they could get joint judiciary to call for a vote during the regular session. And now, of course, we're in the countdown to November 12th. Fortunately, we've got a, a week after the hysteria of, no, of November 3rd. So what's holding it up now? What, as, as of today, what's, what's the problem? Well, okay, so the Roe Act is in, it's still in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, I am not on that committee, so I'm, I'm not really party to the conversations of of your privy, I should say, to the conversations as to what's, you know, what's happening. I will say that, you know, I too chair of a committee and with any sort of major bill, you spend a lot of time really working the language, working, you know, working through possible unintended consequences of commas, right? I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into to getting a strong bill reported out of committee. And I think that that is what is going on with the judiciary. If they wanted to send it to study, they could have sent it to study a long time ago. Um, I do think, and uh, you know, one of the earlier questions kind of got to this and I think I missed it in my answer, but this particular moment is, I'm literally staring at a, a portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg who <laughs> sits across from me in my workspace. Uh, who has long been an inspiration of mine. And, you know, her death, especially as we are now seeing the confirmation hearings of her, 
purported replacement, likely replacement, let's even say, we have a very, very serious risk here. Our reproductive health, our reproductive freedoms, almost all of the values that, uh, that those of us who believe in justice and fairness and equity hold near and dear to our hearts are at risk. And we can, here in Massachusetts, move the Roe Act forward and strike the 1974 anti-choice legislation that still exists on our books, we can do that. And we, we should do that. And in fact, now I think we really must do that. The severity, I think, of this particular time in our national history and also in our Commonwealth's history and in our communities. I hope that this moment will get that bill successfully out of committee, successfully to the floor of the House and then over to the Senate so that we can pass it as well. There's, there has never been a more crucial time for us to do it. I, I do believe that Roe v. Wade will fall at the federal level and it will be left to the states. And assuming that that happens, we will only have our state statutes on which to fall back. And any case law that exists only in our state and does not depend on Roe v. Wade or its line of decisions that, that came after from the Supreme Court. So this is, this is serious. This is very serious. And we all know that, you know, striking legal abortion won't stop abortions. Mm -hmm. It will just stop legal abortions. It will just stop safe abortions. It will just stop people without means getting abortions. In fact, there are people without means who can't get access to abortion care now, let alone all of the additional aspects of reproductive health care that are provided by Planned Parenthood and a variety of other uh, reproductive health care providers throughout our Commonwealth. So we have we must meet this moment. That's so emotionally charged. I'm just, um, I'm, a, I'm a little weepy right now, but um, I'm not going to agonize. I'm going to persist. So should we be doing something different at this stage? We're doing the postcards, we're using social media, we're red cloaking wherever we can. Uh, we show up all over the place in one form or another. How do we move this needle? You know, how do we, I mean, November 12th is, is really close. Yes. So, I, 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 seriously, I don't know what else we can do to get uh, the, this, the Joint Committee to take this seriously and act on it now. How do we do that? What's, what do we do differently? Here's the thing, right? Each member of the legislature represents a certain group of people, right? We each have districts and all of us are in office because a majority of the voters in that district sent us into that office. So, you know, when people ask me, how do I best advocate? Um, my, my first thing that I always say is have people write to their own representatives and senators. That is especially true if your representative or your senator, or maybe both, right, it is a joint committee, are on the Judiciary Committee, right? If you happen to have people who live in the districts of the two 
chairs of that committee. Those people should be writing in with force. <laughs> um, and, you know, anyone in the, in the Commonwealth can write to the Speaker of the House, of course, and the Senate President. Um, and I, I do believe that a significant number of, of communications have been coming in, which is great. Uh, don't let up. I think that, that pressure is important. Again, I think that's, that's both pressure from the people we represent and pressure from the circumstances of this moment in our nation's history. And we, we cannot ignore or diminish the interplay between the federal government, you know, the federal level of government and the state level of government on this particular issue. We just, we just can't. You, I don't think you can understate the connection there. So I would keep the pressure on. And then if you're writing to your own state rep or state senator who is not on the Judiciary Committee, you can ask in that communication to convey uh, your uh, advocacy to pass the Roe Act. You can ask your state rep or senator to convey your advocacy to the members of the Judiciary Committee. That's something that we do pretty regularly. And I also want to just draw everybody's attention to a, a video series that so far only has three videos, but we are working on more uh, called Low Budget Beacon Hill. It's a, it's a video series that State Representative Maria Robinson and I put out. Um, you can find it on my website, BeccaRauschMA.com. And it has tips about this, right? How to advocate for a piece of legislation that you want. Um, how a bill becomes a law in Massachusetts in 20 easy steps, right? How, <laughs> um, what, what is that budget process anyway, right? We sort of break that all down for people. Um, so you can go to my website and, and uh, you can find it on YouTube as well. And, you know, watch those videos to get some more tips about how to successfully um, advocate for for this or, or any other issue, frankly. I love that because what we found is this is really the first thing where I've observed how important it is to be supportive, though, of candidates who are actually not the ones who represent me, because I find that I've got I've got a senator and I've got a rep who really are on board, but they're not in that committee. So suddenly I've looked up like, whoa, I have to fill out my dance card. Who else is out there that I need to know? Because now I'm understanding the significance of those chairpersonships mm -hmm. and really getting the hang of it. Now, I want to shift over to something else because right this minute while we're talking, you know, the hearings are taking place on the Supreme Court nominee and you spoke so eloquently and I love that you've got a law professorship background thinking about this in that big picture. Like right now, Zoom across America in Colorado, there's Proposition 115. And so we've been following that and that is a ballot initiative that would actually make it illegal to have any abortions in Colorado after 22 weeks. So one of the things that's come up as part of the act is looking at when someone finds she has a fatal fetal diagnosis later in pregnancy, and here we've got amazing access to medical care, but we have women who've been able to afford it go to Colorado. And one thing that's come up in feedback I've heard from some people is like, well, you know, rich white women will always find a way. And what is frustrating about that is number one, whether you're rich or not, going to Colorado when you are at advanced stage of pregnancy and have a fatal fetal diagnosis, it's insane. And a lot of these women already have children that they are taking care of. So it puts their health further at risk. It's mentally horrible. But Karen has often said in our podcast, you know, the, the red team has done death by a thousand cuts to our constitutional rights under Roe. And I guess we're looking at if compromise has to come out 
in this process with the ROAC. Um, we'd like to know your thoughts about that because we realize we may not get all of the aspects that we've been working so hard for this past year and a half plus. Each part is really very necessary. And we are in fact, just like I'm connected to you, even though you're not my representative or my Senator, we're connected to Colorado and people in Alabama are connected to us. So we'd love your big picture on that. Yeah, um, well, you're right. We are all connected. In fact, I am already hearing from young people, particularly young people who identify as women, that they are stockpiling the morning after pill, birth control. Um, they're stockpiling it now. Even oh. if they are, they're stockpiling it now, they are calling yeah. and texting their, their um, compatriots. Yeah, they're competing online for women in their 30s and 40s who have children and yeah. can't don't want to have more. So they are stockpiling right. as well. And they're reaching out to their, you know, friends and, uh, you know, age, age, similarly aged folks in uh, red states saying, don't worry, we are going to take care of you. We will bring you to Massachusetts. We will, or, or you know, Vermont, right? Vermont has, has one of the uh, broadest abortion access laws in the country. You're right. We are, we are all interconnected and many of our people uh, needing access to abortion care later in pregnancy do go to Colorado and we can't ignore, we absolutely cannot ignore that connection, nor can we ignore the connection from one, you know, legislative district to the other right here in Massachusetts. Will there be a, you know, compromise positions taken in this bill, but it, in order to get it passed? Maybe. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's pretty consistent with all bills that we move across the finish line. The Senate, for example, passed a pretty comprehensive racial justice and police reform bill. It's not full by any stretch, right? But it's an important first step. Same with climate legislation, right? The Senate passed a robust next generation climate package back in January, which is now in conference committee. Is it everything? No. Is it a really good step forward? Absolutely. Um, are we going to get everything in the Roe Act? No, absolutely not, right? There's, there's plenty more that, that, there's plenty more, there's plenty more. If and hopefully when it comes up for a vote on the floor of both the House and the Senate, will it be an important first step? Absolutely, absolutely. And we can't lose sight of the fact that making those steps is hugely important. And those steps, by the way, are not just on the Roe Act, right? They're also in passing the two bills that we already passed, right? And making sure that we are you know, consistently elevating. I gave a floor speech earlier this session on maternal mental health, right? Most of the screenings for postpartum depression happen at pediatric appointments. But if you've had a miscarriage or an abortion or whatever your circumstances may have been where you've lost a pregnancy, your risk for, for uh, postpartum depression is still there. Where are we screening for that? We're not, right? We're, we, have, we have so many things to to keep working on. And, you know, so this bill, is this bill important? Absolutely, massively, massively important. And there's gonna be plenty more work to keep doing after this session is over. That's why it's important if you do have a, you know, your state rep and state senator who are on board, it is actually also important to write to them saying, thank you for supporting this. I support you in your support of this because we, we certainly get yelled at. And um, it's also really important to pay attention to legislative races, right? Contested legislative races. And uh, I know that, you know, this is first and foremost as a, as a political issue for all of you and, and likely for all of our listeners. Take a look around because the reality, as we were talking about earlier, the reality is this is going to come to the state. It will be to the state to figure this out 
for at least some time in the immediate future, right? Who knows how long that will be? I don't know. But I do know we, we yeah. need to shore this up at the state level. And there are contested races, myself included, where one person in the race is a proven champion for reproductive freedom and the other is not. And that's not just looking at people who are gonna vote the right way at the end of the day. That's who's gonna pave the path, who's gonna be active, who's gonna talk about it, who's gonna be vocal, who's gonna lay down on this and say, no, we're not gonna put the burden of anything anymore on people who have uteruses. I love that you're saying it's an important first step because our time is drawing to a close. But we know, number one, it's actively being discussed and we're excited that you're there sharing your views, which are thought out and clear. We really hope it happens now because the Supreme Court's composition is changed today while we're talking. We can see the writing on the wall. They're calling them confirmation hearings. They're saying we're here to compel. Senator, your first step has been a big step at the State House. And we thank you for making time for us today. Um, and even if you're not in our district, you're speaking for a lot of us. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It's a real honor and privilege to be here um, and to be doing this, this really important work together. Because frankly, we, those of us who are inside the building, we can't do it without you. We, we just can't. So it, it's, a, it's a team effort. So we're all on Virtual high five, virtual high five. Woo! On it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. We'll look forward to having you back. I look forward to it. Thank you and good luck.